God has always wanted us to be with him. And he invites us into his community. So imagine sitting at a table and um, God is there, the Trinity is there, and he pulls up an open chair, um, he scoots over, and he invites you to sit with him. Um, it's not an invitation given to us just by Jesus because he's like the nice one and the loving one and God's the angry one that has wrath, but it's God that's invited us um, by design since creation. Um, it's kind of a big deal, and I don't think we realize that a lot of the time. So tonight I'm going to talk about a lot of different things, but it's going to be, I think of it kind of like a skipping stone, if you want to use that analogy. So we're going to talk about five stories throughout Scripture and just kind of like skipping through Scripture and seeing what the Holy Spirit does um, and how he interacts with us and how he um, how he yeah, how, how he just lives that out. So we're going to talk about um, creation and the Israelites in the desert, Samson, Jesus, and the Pentecost. Um, starting with creation, I'm going to read you a little excerpt from Genesis 1, 1 through 5. But I'm going to use a translation for, called the Shokin Bible, and it's a Jewish translation by this guy named Everett Fox. Um, he's real smart. And <laughs> he, so like some translations, like the American Standard Bible or American Standard Version translates things like word for word. And so they look at this word and then they're like, okay, this is a translation of that word. So we'll put that next. Okay, the next word, we're going to use that. And then there's other translations of the Bible, like the message, which takes like the general idea of this section and then it uses that to translate. Like, so we're going to make this the general idea in English. Um, this guy, he he focused on um, the way that Hebrew was written. And so the first five books of the Bible, that's what he did. Um, so it's not the whole Bible, it's just the first five books. Um, and he focused a lot on like timing and rhythm of the poetry in it. Um, and so I think it's a really cool and different way uh, of reading. And so I'm going to read that in a second. When you hear the word spirit, think um, wind or breath. It's The Hebrew word for it is, it's weird, wuach. <laughs> and it is the same word that can be used for wind or breath. Um, it's the same one, the spirit. So think of like how powerful wind is and um, like a tornado or a hurricane or the windstorms here, like with the wind blowing through the gorge, knocking down a tree. Um, so I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes for a second while I read this and just, like, picture the story. At the beginning of God's creating of the heavens and the earth, when the earth was wild and waste, darkness over the face of ocean, rushing spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good. God separated the light from the darkness. He called, the dark, he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was setting, there was dawning, one day. That translation, like, when you think about the spirit hovering over the water, and, like, the power of wind and, like, just darkness, and then, like, this rushing wind, there's nothing there, 
um like that's part of who god is just the raw power and like the unknowing and the vastness of that um so yeah that's creation first skip and now we're gonna move to um the israelites in the desert and this is the one that i'm gonna have to like crunch down a lot because i realized that the part of the story that i was gonna read i'm still gonna read but it's like the climax of this bigger story and so i'm gonna try to rush through the first part of it so the climax is as interesting as it should be because if you don't know the first part you're like okay cool whatever <laughs> so the hebrews uh jewish people they so this is like right at the beginning of the bible in exodus exodus 19 um they just got out of egypt if you've seen the prince of egypt this is like right after the movie ends um they just got like all the plagues happened um well let me start a little bit before that i guess so god chose this people group to be like his people um you can think of it as well like now the church is the bride of christ this was like the bride of god back then um it was his chosen people his special people he was going to protect he was going to do all this great stuff for and they screwed up really bad and so they got taken into slavery by the egyptians <laughs> and while they're in slavery um i think it's like 400 years or something like that and um god is still with them and god like is still wanting them to like to turn back to him but they keep not doing it um and so finally if you're here on sunday we talked about moses finally moses happens moses goes to egypt all the plagues happen um, he finally convinces pharaoh to let his people go and uh, they leave and then pharaoh chases after them with an army and they're like trying to get away and there's an ocean in front of them and then moses smacks the ground with his stat staff i was gonna say stick uh <laughs> smacks it with a stick and the waters separate and the people like walk through the sea um and the egyptians are like still coming behind them and then the ocean closes on the egyptians and you don't know what happens to them probably drowned they might be good swimmers i don't know um and so this is this is like right after that it's right on the heels of all that um god had his people come to mount sinai which is where like he was going to come down to earth um so the like the structure of the story and what happens it can be um really similar to the marriage ceremony that they had at the time so this is kind of like god's marriage to his people right um so i'll read we can put up the slide i'll read this um and this is the climax and it starts with God speaking. Oh, this is the same translation that I used before. And so it uses Yahweh, which the Jewish people didn't pronounce because like God's name was too powerful, too great for them to say. And so they said the Lord anytime that was in scripture. And then it also, when it talks about Moses, it says Moshi. Um, so I'm just gonna say Moses and the Lord, but you can read with me. The Lord will come down before the eyes of all people upon Mount Sinai. Fix boundaries for the people around about, saying, Be on your watch against going up to the mountain or against touching its border. Whoever touches the mountain, he is to be put to death. Moses brought the people out toward God from the camp, and they stationed themselves beneath the mountain. Now Mount Sinai smoked all over, since the Lord had come down upon it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and all the mountain trembled exceedingly. Now the shofar sound was growing exceedingly stronger. Moses kept speaking, and God kept answering him in the sound of a voice. 
And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. So the, the sound of a voice, you can think of like thunder or wind again. It's loud, scary noises. It's not like, hey, Moses. <laughs> um, now all the people were seeing the thunder sounds, the flashing torches, the shofar sound, the mountain smoking. You can think of like a volcano erupting, like earthquakes, ground shaking, fire, smoke everywhere, thunder. Um, so all this is happening. When the people saw, they faltered and stood far off. They said to Moses, you speak with us and we'll hearken, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for it is to test you that God has come to for the testy that God has come to have awe of him be upon you so that you do not sin. The people stood far off and Moses approached the fog where God was. So if you can picture this, like this giant, huge event is happening and God's like, I'm coming to my people. And his people are like, no, you're kind of freaking me out. <laughs> like, that's scary. And so um, they they don't go to the boundaries that like God set up for them. God made boundaries, like you're going to be safe if you stay behind this. Don't come past this boundary and you'll be good. Um, and the people are like, that's too close. We're going to be back here. And Moses comes down. He's like, don't be afraid. Like God told us we can be this close. We can come here. Like he's going to come meet us. And they're like, you you talk to him and like let us know what he says and we'll be good. Um, and so, I don't know. That's such a image of like, us and how I treat God and like just every day God being like hey come do stuff with me come talk to me and I'm like uh, I'm no I'm good I'm going to watch YouTube videos or like um, I don't get to see that that greatness of God very often which would probably I probably react the same way but um, that's just another example to show that uh, that God is like always trying to be with his people he's always like pursuing us, and uh, it's always us that fall short, and it's always us that turn away. Uh, so we are going to have a video in a second, um, because after that event, when the people told Moses, like, you just talk to him, let us know what happens, that's when the Ten Commandments came around, um, and they had all these laws, and I think this video talks about those laws a little bit, so I'll show that, and then talk more. So, does that make sense? Because everyone kind of following what's happening with the story so far. So, God tries to come to his people and, like, start a relationship. They're scared. They say no. Um, so, then he creates this stuff. And that's where you get, like, all the Old Testament laws. Because um, God's like, okay, well, if you, want, if you want to do it that way, like, you need to be pure if you're going to, like, come to me and all this stuff. Um, and that's where, like the sin offerings and guilt offerings and peace offerings and grain offerings and burnt offerings came. Um, that's where the temple came from, from the tent in the desert. Um, that's like all the Old Testament law basically came from that. Um, and that made it really hard to be in community with God because like the high priest was the only one that could go into the presence of God and he could only do it once a year. And they had, like, precautions in case he died because he wasn't pure enough. And then they had a, a rope tied around his legs. So if he fell over dead, they could pull him out, like, because they're not going to go in and get him because they'll die too. Um, so it was really hard to be in relationship with God. Like, they knew God. They learned about him. But there was no connection with him. So Stone skips again, and we'll go to Samson. 
So a lot of you guys probably know the story of Samson, so I'm not going to get into all the details, but it's a crazy story, and you should read it. It's in Judges like 13, 14, 15, and 16, I think, those four verses, books, four books, nope, chapters, yeah, <laughs> those four testaments of the Bible. Um, it, I always grew up thinking Samson was like, oh, that's such a cool story, strong guy, like such an awesome man of God. And then I read it when I was older, and I was like, oh, that's not what the story is about. <laughs> like, in my little kid's book Bible thing, it has all the pictures of it, and it's like, Samson's awesome. And then you read the story, and he's not. Um, but God still uses him. So, uh, I don't know how much to get into. He's a Nazarite, which is like a special thing. Usually the Nazarite vow, it's like a three-month thing that Israelites could do to like be holy or be pure. Um, you could do a three-month or six-month, nine-month. Samson is one of three people in the Bible that's like a lifelong Nazarite. Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. Um, and they had like, I mean, there were all the laws from Leviticus that they all had to follow anyway. And the Nazarites had like extra things they had to follow. They couldn't cut their hair. They couldn't um, touch a dead body. They couldn't drink alcohol or like eat anything that came from a grape. Um, I don't know why those laws were there, but like there's these extra laws to keep them holy, keep them pure before God. Um, so I made a little chart, and through the story, um, all these things happen. The first one, in Deuteronomy 7, this is a law for like all the Israelites. They're not supposed to intermarry. So during the time of Samson, they're basically not quite slaves, but they're like under the rule of a different people, again, Philistines, because they were bad, and that's what happens every time the Israelites are bad, is someone takes over their country, and then they're not important anymore. Um, and Samson, he's a Nazarite since birth. Uh, also, a thing to know about the Nazarites, they couldn't cut their hair, and they had locks, so basically they had dreadlocks, and they had really long dreadlocks, like the Rasta guys that have super long dreadlocks, and they had seven of them. Um, and so that was kind of cool. Didn't know about that either. <laughs> Just thought it was interesting. Don't know if you guys care. Um, so he marries, he marries a Philistine woman, which is breaking the Jewish law. So that's something that he's doing wrong. Um, he doesn't do anything to like ask forgiveness for it. He just does it. Uh, and that's not Delilah. We're not there yet. He married someone else first. Um, and that's when the he came up with a riddle about the lion that he killed um, with the honey in it. Some of you guys know this. <laughs> and... The people at the wedding were like, tell us the answer to the riddle. And he was like, no. And then they went to his Philistine wife, and they're like, get him to tell us the answer to the riddle. And he was like, all right, I'll tell her. And so he told her, and she told the guys, and they went and like won the bet about the riddle. And so he got mad and killed 30 people. Um, so the second rule is that he's not supposed to go near a dead body. And as we saw from that story and more to come, he kills a whole lot of people. Um, he, I think those first 30 people were the ones that he killed with the jawbone of a donkey. Like, nope, not that one. Not yet. That's later. He just killed those people with something else. And then he, like, caught 30 foxes and tied their tails together and set them on fire, and they went and burned down a whole field. Um, because Samson was really a cool guy and really <laughs> nice and loving. <laughs> just an awesome image of God. Um he so then Delilah happens. Well, there's a he ruled for like 20 years. So Samson's a long time. So he was married to the 
he was married first to the Philistine woman. Um, then he had a relationship with a prostitute for a long time. Um, and then Delilah comes around. And that part of the story, we all know, he's not allowed to cut his dreads. Um, the Philistines keep trying to get Delilah. It's like, oh, tell him, or get him to tell you what like the secret to his strength is. And he tells him something else first that's not true. And then they try it, and he like breaks through whatever they tied him up with and kills everyone. And then that happened like four times, I think. They went to Delilah, and they're like, get him to tell us like what his weakness is. And he tells them a lie, and they tie him up, and then he kills 30 people, whatever. And he does that over and over. And you'd think that he would realize, like, oh, every time I tell Delilah what the, like, my, the secret to my strength is, these people come in and try to use what I just told Delilah. But he doesn't because he's not a smart man. So he finally tells her the truth that, like, oh, if you cut my hair, um, then I'll lose all my strength. And so Delilah cuts his hair, and uh, that's another thing that he breaks. He's not supposed to cut his hair because of the Nazarite vow. He does that too. And then the Philistines take him into captivity and gouge his eyes out, which is really gross, and they keep him like a prisoner for however long. And then he realizes, like, oh, I'm supposed to be a Nazarite. I'm supposed to be doing... There was a reason for him doing all this. Like, this was to glorify God because the Philistines were being bad to the Israelites. And so God gave him the power to do this, to kill all the Philistines, which is a weird thing in and of itself. But the story ends with him being in, like, the Philistine temple. And they put him next to the big pillars. And there's however many thousands of people inside the temple and then 2,000 more like up top watching him perform because they brought him out of prison to perform for them. And then he pushes the pillars over, the whole temple collapses, and thousands and thousands of people die. Go God and the Israelites. Um, but in this story, the important thing is that his strength didn't come from his hair. It didn't come from the vows that he took. It came from God. Every time he did something that was crazy, like when he killed however many people with the donkey jawbone or when he killed the lion with his bare hands, which we didn't talk about, or when he pushed over the temple pillars. Sorry, yeah, temple pillars. Um, every time in the story that talks about that, it says the spirit of God came upon him, and he had like the power to do that. So it's not these things that you do that gives you power. It's like the power of God coming in you, coming on you, and doing it for you. Um, so he used God used Samson to show his people that like he was still fighting for him. He was still pursuing them even though they were being stupid and doing whatever they were doing and ruining everything which they do over and over and over and over until jesus comes which is the next skip in the stone so we talked about um, creation we talked about mount sinai <coughs> talked about samson and now we're going to talk about jesus and i'll go through this one quick because we've been talking about jesus for two and a half years however long it has been that we've been going through mark um <laughs> a little bit maybe i don't know um the first time you see the Spirit in the story of Jesus is when he was baptized, and that's when the Spirit comes down on him in the form of a dove, and that's in every gospel. It's in Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, John 1. Um, you can look into those if you want. Um, and then right after that, when he goes into the desert, in Luke it talks about this, that the Spirit, he's full of the Spirit, um, and the Spirit is what leads him into the desert. So when he goes off to, like, 
do his become Jesus thing in the desert. And that's when he has the interactions with Satan and Satan tempts him and he doesn't. Um, he's full of the spirit. And do you guys remember a few weeks ago? Oh, no, it was probably more than a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, when Andrew talked about um, the crucifixion and like the veil being torn. Remember that veil in the temple? Okay, so that is from the tent in Leviticus. That's where the veil came from. The temple was based on, it was like modeled after the tent. Um, and that big, thick, however many inches thick, like six inch veil that was blocking like the innermost part of the temple, blocking um, God's presence from the rest of the people. Jesus dies and that's torn. So that's pretty significant because it's representative that like the spirit isn't separated from us anymore. Um, so Jesus dying like connects us with the spirit. We, so we don't have the power to do miracles like Samson. We don't have, like it's not because of us saying a prayer or anything that gives us power, but like anything that we do is from the spirit. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse with that, but it's important. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yep, so we're going to skip again, skipping stone to Pentecost. It's the last one. Um, this is after Jesus is crucified. Um, he's in the his grave <laughs> for three days, and he rises from the dead, comes back. Um, um, well, this is going to tell the story of Pentecost. I'll just read it. Um, there's another slide you can follow along if you want. This is in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. Sounds familiar. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled in each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So now Peter starts talking. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the high place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you see in here today. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So Pentecost is important because that's like the moment that the spirit was given to us. Um, it was like in the story of the Bible, it was the first time that people were filled with the Holy Spirit, like not as a one time, like, oh, this is the special occasion, like Samson. Um, but like from that point on, people could be filled with the Holy Spirit. God lived in us. It wasn't God living in a tent or God living in the pillar of fire that led them around the desert when they were lost in the desert. Um, it wasn't God up on the mountain, but it was God was living in each person that was there. It wasn't just the Jews, it was the Gentiles, and it was like to be passed down to generations and to all who've been called by the Lord our God. Um, so in the, in the age we live in now, in the story of the whole Bible that we've kind of skipped over really quickly, um, the spirit isn't in one place. The spirit's all around us. Um, it's always pulling us. It's drawing us, nudging us. 
but there's a change when we accept that God's spirit is in us. And I don't really know what that is. I was talking with Matt about this, but there's definitely like something different when you accept that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the, the part in the Bible where it talks about God pulling us in, I thought was really interesting because the Greek word that is used there, it's the same word that is used for like fishing. So when you think, I don't know how many of you have been fishing, I've been like once. When you think of fishing with a fishing pole, you like throw it out there. When a fish bites, you don't just like yank it in because you're probably going to get the hook out of its mouth and you're not going to catch the fish. Um, you like reel it in a little bit and then let it go back out and then reel it in a little bit more and let it go back out. And so you're basically like tiring the fish out and it's just slowly pulling, pulling you're slowly pulling the fish into you until you can get it. Um, and that's the imagery you should think about when you hear like God's pulling us. Because it's not God like just yanking us over to him. Um, but he's he's patient and he like knows when he needs to give us space and he knows when we're ready for him to pull us a little bit closer to him. Um, so I really like that imagery because it just shows like how God knows us so much better than we do because we're stupid fish and he's the fisherman that's going to catch us. <laughs> um, we we don't have to go anywhere to experience God. We don't have to go, we don't have to come to church. We don't have to come to youth group. Um, I encourage you to come to youth group because of everyone else here, but you don't have to go somewhere to experience God or to meet him. He's in us, which I've said like a hundred times now. Um, so you, you being a Christian, um, it doesn't look like you reading your Bible or you coming to church or you saying the prayer, being baptized, but you being a Christian uh, is dependent on your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, for me, it's so it's been weird because, like, when I think of the Trinity, it's like, oh, God the Father, that's easy to understand. Jesus, easy to understand. Half the Bible's written about him. But the Spirit is just, like, this floaty thing that I don't really understand. But, like, it's part of the Trinity, and it's important. Um, but the more I think about it, like, any experience that I've had with God or any time I have talked to God, like that interaction has been with the spirit because that's the part of God that's with us now. So the spirit is the part of the Trinity that like I know the most, but it's the one that I feel like I know the least about. Um, this is an interesting switch for me in my way of thinking. Um, don't misunderstand what I said about you don't have to go to church or looking like a Christian doesn't look like reading your Bible because those are important things. You should read your Bible because that's a great way to get to know who God is. And you should come to church because of other people here who care about you. Um, so to wrap things up, I don't think I have any more slides. Uh, last week, Matt talked about the Trinity and how the Spirit's role is for us to know that we have a relationship with God. Um, hopefully this week you can start to understand, like, that we are invited into the community of who God is. Um, if God is the Trinity, God is relationship, right? Because there's three in one. He's the perfect relationship, and he invites us into that. So in a weird way, like God invites us to be a part of the Trinity. Not to, we're not God. I'm not saying that, but like, if if God is relationship and God invites us to be with him, like God's inviting us into that relationship that he is. Um, and so next week, 
is Andrew talking next week? Do we know? So next week, Andrew is going to be talking um, about what that means for us now. Um, so that will be interesting because we talked about what the Trinity is. We talked about where we see it. And like, so what? That's what we'll be talking about next week. So come back. Um, I'm going to pray. And we're going to go to small groups. Um, try to get back here at 8.40, right? Um, so yeah, thanks for paying attention. And so God, thank you for... Um, Thank you for, I don't know, just everything, the way you've created us, the way that uh, you teach us, the way that you love us. Uh, we don't deserve any of it. We don't understand most of it. Um, I question whether we'll ever understand any of it fully. Um, but, yeah, thank you for being patient. Thank you for drawing us in slowly um, when we're ready and not just yanking us out of the water. Um, thank you for the community that you've put us in. Thank you uh, for the people that are sitting around us that care for us and that um, point us towards you. And I just ask that we can we can be that for each other and that uh, we can continue to get to know you a little more.